Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome to this summer retrospective series. One of my favorite things about this podcast is that it is truly a community of guests and listeners, and you often connect with each other apart from me. When my guests share so deeply and vulnerably with us, the listeners, I feel like it's important to try to stay in touch and continue the conversation as much as possible. So in this spirit, I reached out to a few guests for follow-up interviews, and I'll be airing them for five weeks this summer. These interviews are each 30 minutes or less and totally unedited, so you're getting the raw thoughts of both myself and my guests. First in this series, I am thrilled to re-welcome Anella Malik, guest of episode 24, Food is Political, with the subtitle, But What Does That Mean? I thought of Anella for this series because she has gone through an absolutely seismic shift of career since our first interview. When Feed the Malik went viral last June, Anella was faced with an avalanche of new decisions, opportunities, and of course, challenges. So we get to listen in and learn from Anella as she explains how she navigated these big changes and why she ultimately chose to leave behind a prestigious career as a U.S. diplomat, a career she had worked all the way through graduate school for. And the surprising thing that was most difficult about all of her career changes. Also, although Anella continues to advocate for the marginalized, especially the Black community, through the avenue of food, she has now changed her view of her work, and we get into her updated viewpoints, specifically realities she had to accept when going full-time, and some choices she made to better support the community through her much larger platform. And finally, Anella shares about her book that National Geographic selected her to write. Yay, congratulations, Anella. We discuss both her goal and her process for writing this book, which is very arduous (laughs) and a labor of love for sure. And I cannot wait to read it when it's released. So welcome, Anella, and to you, listeners. Hey, Anella. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I have this big smile on my face because I'm looking at this picture of you with your beautiful smile. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a cheerful picture. I I actually think Ahmed just took that randomly walking down the street and I was like, I I love this photo. Yes, you look completely relaxed. So it makes sense that he took it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I always start with a little bit of chit chat, and I know I'm going to edit it out later. And um, I feel like so stressed <laughs> that I'm doing these retrospectives where I've committed to myself that I'm not going to edit afterwards. Oh, I mean, there's no need to edit. There really isn't. It's going to be great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. And you've taken that on for yourself, right? Uh, editing with with your, no, with your podcast, you've been just very, uh, um, you're very efficient about it. We try to be there. So I'm on a podcast network now and we do have an editor, Mm -hmm. but we always aim for light touch edits where maybe just if there's really long pauses, we might take those out. Mm -hmm. Uh, but beyond that, we want the conversation to feel natural. We want people's personalities to come through and it's easier for all of us that way. 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, let's talk about everything that led up to, not that the podcast is the pinnacle, but um, everything that's led to this moment where you're so active in so many different channels and writing your own book. And um, you really were the first person that I thought of when I started planning a retrospective series, because I think, I'm not going to say your life has changed the most, but certainly your career has changed the most dramatically um, since we talked last March or April. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us about that. Tell us about the changes, kind of maybe starting with like that almost cataclysmic <laughs> moment or first few days in your life. And then what's, <laughs> what's transpired um, up until now? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where to begin because when <laughs> I start thinking about the changes, I'm like, this is overwhelming. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think from last early spring, right. I was blogging as a hobby and I'm, I was always really passionate about it yes. and I was making uh, content and sharing interviews and, and doing all the things I'm doing now, but on a smaller scale, because it was a hobby and I had a full-time job mm-hmm. and um, you know, I was uh, a U.S. diplomat and I was really trying to keep my world separate because mm-hmm. I had this career that I was really passionate about, but mm-hmm. um over the course of a few months, a few things happened kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. I Feed the Malik went viral and in a way that was just extremely overwhelming and uh, just terrifying when I was in it, though now I see that it was really a blessing. Mm-hmm. And um, so my my platform grew really fast and started just demanding more and more time. And mm-hmm. this had already been a conversation that was kind of happening with me and my husband about how my hobby was like a 25 hour a week hobby. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not really sustainable when you have a full-time job. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, frankly, personally for us as a, a family, the foreign service was really hard. There are parts yeah. of the foreign service life that are glamorous, but I honestly would say those are few and far between. Yeah. It's really, really difficult to move all over the world with your spouse, with your pets. Often we don't have as much say in where we live as people think. Yeah. Um, and my husband also um, had, he's Iraqi American. Mm-hmm. And even though he didn't work for the state department as my spouse, he needed to get their permission to travel to Iraq to visit his family. And they oh. denied that permission. Okay. And you know, we were looking at this situation where based off of what we'd heard from kind of the internal HR processes in the department that nobody knew if they were ever going to approve this travel because wow, it's dangerous in their minds. But in our minds, we're like, people live there, they raise families there. And, and yes, it is dangerous, but especially because of U.S. involvement, um, we can't say that there's going to be a time in my career where they're more likely to give him permission. Wow. Um, Wow. And on top of that, also, the last time we talked, you were planning a trip. I mean, when I say a trip, you were planning to go live and work overseas for a substantial length of time. And Ahmed was not going to be able to come with you. Yes. So that was another thing. I was planning to work overseas in in Pakistan for a year and he wasn't going to be able to come with me. So all of these things happened at once, right? It wasn't like one thing. All of these things kind of coalesced to make us be like, maybe the foreign service is not the right path for us as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I quit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And was there some mourning involved? Like you had such exciting things on the one side, um, but there are also 
you worked real. I mean, I don't need to have had the conversation with you to know you worked really hard for the opportunities that you had in the foreign service. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some warning um, because I, I had dreamed about that job for a long time and it's the kind of career it takes a lot to get in and a lot to maintain. And, and even my graduate education, right. Was really focused on preparing me for the type of work that I wanted to do in the foreign service. So Mm -hmm. there was definitely some warning. It's been a big transition and it was also very scary when I decided to quit I knew I had the opportunity to take Feed Them League full time, but I did not know how it was going to turn out, right? I didn't have like a stable income from my blog. I hadn't had lots of partnerships that paid, you know, I had Mm -hmm. been doing it as a hobby. And so I had to turn it into a business basically overnight because I was like, I have bills to pay. Right, right, right. So I want to talk about that process. And um, before I talk about that process and the practical aspects of it, I want to talk about like uh, the heart and the passion and what this change has done to that. So you said, you know, you had this hobby where you were working 25 hours a week on it, maybe probably more sometimes. I'm sure you were dreaming about it (laughs) when you weren't (laughs) actively working on it. And one of the things that I just loved about you from the moment I first saw your account and why I reached out to you like immediately is because it was so clear that this was driven by a passion. This was um, not driven by a desire for fame or or like insta success or anything like that. You really had a mission and a calling and a passion, which was to advocate for the marginalized, um, especially the black, um, the black uh, restaurateurs and. Um, Uh, industry workers and cooks in the area and that you wanted to like give them exposure, you know? And so my question is, has your passion for the work and has your perspective on the work that you do changed um, with this shift to full-time? It's definitely changed. I would say not Mm -hmm. my passion, right? I Yes. I've always been passionate about food and the way that food can tell really complicated stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, some people think it's trite to say that food brings us together, but it does because mm-hmm. it's something we all have to do. Yep. <laughs> and it's very hard. I found to be mad at people when you're sharing a meal with them. <laughs> um, but beyond that, right, this passion for food and storytelling as well has always kind of guided me. And now I've a few things have shifted. Mm -hmm. My focus has broadened. Um, Mm -hmm. I started sharing about things beyond food just because I felt like my voice in a sense was being stifled by this very narrow focus. Hmm. I'm passionate about food and about where it comes from and about learning more about my own food community and Mm -hmm. going beyond the top level headlines that I see in local food media. Mm -hmm. But I have other interests in my life. And so I was very much like just food for about a year. And then Mm -hmm. just last month, maybe I I started sharing a little bit beyond that because I realized I wanted to be able to have a life that involved more than just Mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've also had to be really practical um, about money and in ways that I think surprise people. So I, still always, always, always try to make sure that I'm sharing a a diverse array of perspectives. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And whether that means it's black owned businesses, or I make sure to go to mom and pop shops that I, I haven't seen written up in the press and I've never gotten a PR release about them, right. They don't have like a marketing arm. Mm-hmm. I, I do that, but I've, I've also had to be like, and then a couple days a week, or maybe one day a week, I need to do a branded partnership to pay mm-hmm. my bills right. so that I can have the time and the funds to continue supporting small businesses. So I kind mm-hmm. of look at it as like, there are a variety of things in the Feed the Malik ecosystem. And <laughs> I said to someone this morning, actually, before this call, I, I want to be successful and just do the least amount of harm that mm-hmm. I can not only in our capitalist system, but also just person to person, right? I want to be someone who local businesses view as uh, an asset and mm-hmm. as someone who supports them and can share their stories. Um, but I also live in a system where we, we're just constrained by, by the, the rules that underpin it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that you might need to take a national brand, for instance, whereas you'd prefer to support a local brand, but the national brand has the money that allows you to continue to do the work that you do. Absolutely. And, um, you know, this, for example, this guide, I released a guide this morning that, um, is the culmination of a year plus mm-hmm. worth of work. Yes. Um, detailing my favorites. I won't call them mm-hmm. the best, but my favorite mm-hmm. black owned food businesses uh, throughout DC and beyond. And that project took me over a year and cost over $5,000. Mm-hmm. And my aim is that it'll be a counterweight to the guides that are in Eater and the Washingtonian and DCS and the Washington Post because those guides don't include Black-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And I've I've done the analysis on them and actually made you know spreadsheets mm-hmm. about their recommendations to make sure that I'm working off of not just my assumption but fact. And the fact mm-hmm. is that they don't include um, many, if any, Black-owned businesses. Yeah, yeah. I think you said less together, than five percent, right? Or, or out of 380, there was only a handful and some wow. of them were repeats. So okay. I think so six that's or like, seven. Yeah. Two Less than 2% then. then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> were repeats. Okay. Okay. But I cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. So that guide, it also cost me probably more than $5,000, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's well, before but, you pay yourself for your time, right? Oh, yeah. And Which I didn't, you have to pay yourself for your time when you're an entrepreneur. Yes. Yeah. And so I pay for things like that guide by doing partnerships with national brands. And I try, I really try to find brands that I think align with my values that Mm -hmm. have products that I like. Um, And if, if you pay attention, I do a lot of sharing and partnering with national brands about um, dietary preference and allergy friendly foods. And there's a reason for that. So um, black and brown communities are far more likely to have food allergies and to also die from those allergies. Yeah. And so even though in our common perception, uh, we view food allergies, sometimes I think as like a white middle class or upper middle class issue, Mm -hmm. it's really not statistically. Mm -hmm. And so even in the partnerships that I take on with national brands, like the reason I'm sharing about grain-free flatbreads and the reason I'm very, um, you know, keen to share about vegan foods is because my community and other Brown communities often have limited diets. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so whereas they may not, may, they might be reluctant to learn about those things from upper class white 
um, kind of snobbish <laughs> influencers, they might be a lot more likely to learn about them from you. Yeah. And I grew up in a house with uh, a father who had food allergies and yeah. asthma. And yeah. the, let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. the allergy friendly foods that are available now have improved dramatically. <laughs> the things I used to have to eat <laughs> in my childhood, some of them were so bad, like mm. so, so bad. Mm. Just tasted like cardboard. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. now I'm like excited as an adult. Um, I'm an omnivore. Thankfully, I have no allergies. I eat everything, mm -hmm. but I'm really excited to try like good vegan cheese yeah. or to try gluten-free um, products that have like a great texture. That yeah. is really exciting to me. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. Yeah. And going back to your statement about you're trying to be practical and to be able to sustain the work that you're doing, but also to do no harm. I noticed this was quite a while ago, maybe six months ago, you kind of made public that you had made a decision that when this was a hobby for you, if you went somewhere you didn't love, and in fact, I remember when I first started following you, you had done this. When you went somewhere you didn't love, you spoke openly about it. And mm -hmm. you said you had made kind of a decision that you were not going to post bad reviews anymore. You were just going to say, you weren't going to say anything at all. You were going to say something that you might love if you went to a place that you were really pleased and impressed, but otherwise you were just going to kind of keep it to yourself. And that again, is just the idea of like, you're one person with one opinion, but your opinion is kind of amplified now, right? It's taken maybe even a little bit more seriously than it was before. And you just don't want to do harm by kind of writing about what was maybe just a personal singular experience. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of a change that I've embraced as I've grown is mm. that my platform is much, much larger mm. and I need to be cautious about wielding it for the negative. Yeah. 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 No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So let's seg right here into some of the more, the more practical changes that you had to make to sustain um, this new career. So I think like as I shared with you, I kind of see three big things that you've talked about a lot. One is setting boundaries for yourself. That's something that you've had to take on um, as you've transitioned to full-time in this career. And not just boundaries on your hours, but also the type of communication. Like I will communicate with um, businesses by email, with people over DMs, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then you've had to deal with a lot of feedback, like, <laughs> I don't really need to be so nice about it. <laughs> yeah. <How> diplomatic. <laughs> uh, really rude stuff. Really rude, racist, very presumptive. You've talked a lot about um, the presumptuousness of people. Um, I find that on social media as well. Callous statements, mm -hmm. you know, and then um, you've also had to become like this businesswoman overnight. And I've never right? run a business before. <laughs> right. And I have to say, I've emailed you about this before, but I, when you first started sending out your weekly newsletters, um, I literally saved them not only because I love your content, but also as a template for me to go back and read and think about how effective they were from a business standpoint. Like I was like, this is the direction I want to go in. You know, of course we have different voices, but really I was so impressed with how you handled things from a business and in a professional way. So of those three things, what would you say has been the most difficult or is it something totally different altogether? Oh, uh, oh gosh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd say setting boundaries and that's setting that's, boundaries is the hardest for you. Cause you're so social. I'm so social and I like talking to people. So yeah. I, I definitely, even when I was in the foreign service, like I wanted to do um, public diplomacy work, the type of mm. kind of people to people work that you would think of, like talking to people, setting up info sessions, you know, mm. doing uh, programs with students and, and that's just my nature, but yeah. it's very difficult for me to pull back and for example, not reply to DMs, even mm. if I know that it's not a good use of my time at the moment, mm-hmm. um, that it's not urgent, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's part of it. It's just my personality. I'm also a, a doer. I don't know how to say it. I'm an yeah. overachiever. Striver. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not one to do anything halfway. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's really hard for me to sometimes be like, I'm going to prioritize um, this platform or I'm going to prioritize getting through my emails today, as opposed to just doing my email and then working on six other projects. And right. as a small business owner who's in her, I, I, I'm still haven't hit one year full time. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Cause I, went full-time last summer, but it was like mid to late summer that I really made the transition was like, okay, I'm doing this. Um, so, you know, trying to build up a sustainable income, but not work all the time, not work on weekends, (laughs) write a book, all of those things. And so balance is so hard and boundaries is so hard for me. And my husband has actually been my greatest asset in this Mm. way because he's so good at unplugging. Mm. He, doesn't he has social media but he rarely uses it and he's so good at setting boundaries and so uh often you know i don't even realize that i'm overworking myself until he says something and then i have to be like you're right Mm-hmm. how could yeah. we do better about this? Yeah. And it's interesting. Like you said that it might take you a day to just do communication stuff. And because you enjoy that, because you're social, you had to almost retrain yourself to think of those types of things as work. Yes. Oh, That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Well, that answer surprises me. That's really interesting. And it does just go to show how different people are from one another. I think setting boundaries would be my, my, it would be hard, but my easiest. I think that um, it's the way that people talk to you that I think would have been hardest for me to accept. So that's really hard. Mm. And I don't know if I've ever accepted it, (laughs) Mm. Mm. but you just learned to cope slowly and it's still painful. Like I still Mm. have times where someone will say something to me and callous, the word you used is exactly right because behind the screen and also people, I think sometimes forget that influencers or writers or bloggers are just people. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's easy to talk to them. Like you're talking to the platform and I'm like, it is me, like me doing these things. And it's uh, easy to forget. So I still have moments where I have to go downstairs and just scream or, uh, my husband definitely has to hear me vent or he'll be like, I can't hear you vent. Go talk to one of your friends and I'll call one of my friends in the middle of the day. Mm. But I have slowly, slowly started to develop a thicker skin and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a painful process, but I do see that changing. I see me just being less, less concerned Uh, by the negative things people throw at me. It still hurts, but I'm more able to realize that usually it's rooted in something that's going on with them. Mm, mm, mm. 
Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think it's just getting used to it or do you think that it's kind of, um, having a bigger purpose, but no, it's neither of those. It's that you're able to just like displace it from yourself. It's almost like you have a, a, a force shield. <laughs> it's like, whatever, <laughs> what is that old saying? Like whatever you say bounces oh off me and sticks to you. It really is that you've trained yourself to think about these words as like, these reflect on you, not on me. Yeah. And mm. you know, sometimes I get valid criticism. Um, mm. and other times I use the criticisms to remind people of, things that I think are important that they're mm -hmm. forgetting. So for mm -hmm. example, this project, this guide that I debuted today, uh, it's gotten a lot of traction on Twitter, which I didn't expect and woke up and it kind of overwhelmed me. Mm. And, you know, it's a year's worth of work that I took my own money from my business and put it into this. And for the first eight months in business, I wasn't paying myself. So where do you think, you know, the money was going to, to do something that I think will shine a light on a local community that's often ignored. Mm. And I'm already getting comments from people that don't say thank you. They don't acknowledge that the, they like the project at all. They just say, you forgot X, Y, Z. Mm. And ironically, it's little comments like that that usually bother me more than the outright hateful stuff because mm. the outright hateful stuff is like easier, I think, to, to, mm -hmm. to just deflect. Mm -hmm. But stuff like this where I'm like, I know I forgot your favorite restaurant, but maybe it's not my favorite. And also maybe there could be some recognition of the fact that I'm one person yeah. <laughs> doing this because she's passionate about it, doing this yeah. to help local businesses. And frankly, if you think you could do it better, do it. But when right. I started this project and today, no one else has done this in DC. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so much what you just said. If you think you can do better, do it. There's some people that are always going to be critics. And I think it's because they've never tried themselves. <laughs> I think the more you try, honestly, the less critical you are, the more you're able to see the work that goes into something. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us about the book that you're writing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm maybe so that, maybe excited should, about this, Anella. <laughs> maybe I should change one of my previous answers. That's definitely the most difficult thing I'm doing. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Tell well, yes. Tell me about the process. I get so overwhelmed when I imagine you, like, <laughs> just <laughs> where do you start? So, tell me about your thesis and tell me about how you started. So, um, the book is about the deep and enduring contributions of Black peoples to American cuisine. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the crux of it. It's a broad kind of overview. It'll have recipes, beautiful photography, all these things. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very blessed to have been able to work on this book for National Geographic, you know, a big publishing arm that I really respect. Absolutely. And it's com completely overwhelming in that Um it's just so much slower than I would like it to be because for example, I'll read something really just incredible that I know should fit into the book some way because yeah. it's, it's really opened my mind to an aspect of black food and American food that I think is important, but it might take me three days to kind of distill what I read down mm. into a, you know, a digestible thought that not only can go in the book, but is connected to other things, right? Because you mm -hmm. have to tell a story right. throughout the narrative. Um, and so it's just slow. And that's hard yeah. for me as somebody who really uh, doesn't like 
doesn't like slow projects. I'll put it like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are. I mean, you pound out the content. You really do. And so to have to take the time, um, well, I don't think you mind taking the time, but to have to like see it not materialize as quickly. <laughs> You're ready for people to read it and to be exposed to all these amazing ideas and thoughts and um, facts that you are being exposed to. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it's also the mental process is very taxing in a way that is different than anything I've done before. So if I write even some notes and read for an hour or two, like I'm tired after that in a way that I'm not tired, you know, reading for pleasure or listening to podcasts or even creative writing or working on the creative projects that I do for Feed Them Leak. It's because mm. it's complex information that I'm trying to synthesize. And my approach is that I've had to kind of work on this with myself because mm-hmm. I have still some imposter syndrome about the fact that I'm writing this book. Mm. Um, but I tell myself that the reason that they wanted to work with me is because I will tell the story in a way that's approachable and easy for people to understand, mm-hmm. but still nuanced. And so mm-hmm. I actually think, and and I did do a lot of academic writing in grad school. Mm-hmm. I always think that the most complicated type of writing is, it's not these like very academic ethereal kind of pieces, mm-hmm. but it's taking that information and then making it compelling mm-hmm. and still, still inclusive of nuance for, uh, the average consumer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like taking the 500 page thing, but then can you say it in 300 pages and, and still make people want to read it? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. You're right. That's why not everybody can teach. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Like how many college professors did you have that you thought, wow, super smart, but I didn't learn a thing in their class. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. But I cannot learn from this person. Yeah. Right. Right. And you're brilliant and people can learn from you and that's hard work. I hope, I hope, you know, and that's my goal. I'm trying to keep that in mind that, uh, they chose me for a reason and I'm writing this book for a reason and it needs to be my project. And you know, it's just, it's long and slow. And I'm balancing that with trying to run a profitable business because I just, I just started paying myself a salary for the first time. Um, I think last month. And so now I'm like, okay, I, I would really like to keep my salary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that felt nice. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. We need to do that again. (laughs) Yeah. Let's keep this feeling going. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that's my last question about the book is, you know, you've talked about all the research. Do you ever, as you read a book, feel like, oh, well, gosh, this has been done? Or do you just feel like it's never been done in the way that you have done it? Oh, I totally vacillate. Um, Mm. Some days I'll be like, this is great. And of all the books I've read, you know, I have a a way to weave this together that I don't think has been done. And then some days I'm like, this has all been done before, Mm -hmm. but I will say that um, the books that I've read thus far have been amazing Mm -hmm. by a variety of different, you know, authors coming from different backgrounds and perspectives and niches. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but they're not, I would say they all have a particular angle. And Mm -hmm. while this might not be the most interesting angle, uh, it might not be the most provocative. Mine is really to take a, broad view and weave all of those works together. 
Mm-hmm. So not, there's great work on soul food. There's great work on barbecue. Um, there's great work on the black cowboy experience, but mm. those works are all separate. And I may not be able to go as deep as all mm-hmm. of them on each topic, but I'm hoping that eventually yeah. <laughs> I get to a product that weaves together mm. um all of those other works in a way that gives people a starting point and then also gives them more, you know, references, gives them um, a directory, so to say, of where to go next on their journey to learn about this topic. Right. It's kind of a comprehensive guide. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why uh, that's why it's so hard. <laughs> yes. Oh, Anella, it, it's hard for a thousand reasons. I think it would be so hard to know when to stop, when to stop reading and when to say, okay, I've, I've got what I'm going to go with here, you know, and it's hard to write. And I imagine it's emotionally very difficult to dig into many of these topics. I mean, they're fraught with a lot of trauma and pain and injustice. And um, that's just, Three other reasons off the top of my head, I can think of that it's hard. It's hard. It's hard work. And um, I'm glad you're doing it. I can't wait to read your book. I really can't. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do think that's an important point you brought up that I mm. actually didn't understand when I first started. I didn't understand. I think I knew kind of in a intellectual sense, but I didn't understand uh, how emotional and in a way traumatic mm-hmm. it would be to to read so much about black american history mm-hmm. and i'm i i didn't start this project you know with a lack of knowledge not not no. with my growing up in my household or my background yeah <laughs> um but there is almost no day mm-hmm. where i do reading for the book and don't want to cry mm-hmm. even though a lot of you know, there's a lot of pain in Black American history, but there's also a lot of like joy and mm. and pop culture and celebration and triumph, but it's all woven together in a way. Um, mm. And so that has been hard, the kind of emotional processing to be like, I need to take a break, not because I can't read anymore, mm. but because I just need a break and I have to come back to this mm. uh, when I'm in a different place. Yeah, I can imagine. I really can. So, all right. Well, I do want to respect your time. So I'm going to wrap this up. I really could talk to you forever. Anala, I find you to be so admirable and knowledgeable and kind and gracious. I appreciate all of those things about you. So I would just like to end with you telling everyone where to find you and how to follow your work. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I I think yours was the first kind of podcast recording I was ever on and you set the bar very high. Aww. You're so kind. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Um, but you can find me and my work on Instagram at feedthemalik, feedthemalik.com. I'm not publishing as much on my actual website right now as I'm trying to focus on the book, but um, there is stuff there and there will be a trickle of things there over the next year or so. Mm-hmm. And I would say, if you want to follow my work, the best way is to just get on my email list. You yeah. can go to feedthemalik.com slash subscribe because uh, updates about projects and I share out the best things that I'm reading, yeah. articles, books, et cetera, about food in general, all go to that email list. So you yes. can see me there. I'm a religious opener of your email. <laughs> I love it. Learn something every time. So thank you so much, Anella. I hope you have a really great day. And um, again, I really can't wait to read your book. Thank you. Thanks so much, Becky. My pleasure. Take care. Okay. Bye.
Thanks again to Anella for taking time out of her extremely busy schedule to stop by and share her wisdom with her usual graciousness. I've linked to all the ways you can connect with Anella in the show notes. And of course, I've also linked to her original episode, again, episode 24, Food is Political, But What Does That Mean?, which is one of the Storied Recipe Podcast's top five most listened to episodes of all time, and it still racks up listens every single week. Next week, tune in for another 30-minute episode in this series with a guest requested by several of you, the listeners. I'm not going to share the name of the guest right now, but I will give a little news about her, which is that this is a guest I have personally hired to help me grow the Storied Recipe Podcast. So make sure you subscribe now to catch our mystery guest and talk soon and have a great week, my friends. My friends.